You know, normally we do a, we have a scripture reading and then we go into our sermon. We're going to do something a little different today. For the next two weeks, we're going to do a little bit more of two surveys. And we're going to be starting by, we're going to do a, a survey of the book of James today. So, if you are, if you are very sad about um, the loss of not getting to read a scripture in advance, fear not. We will do um, scripture throughout the message. But I also encourage you, I have a friend, um, and I, I don't know if he still does this, but, but back when I, when I knew him in 2009, so we'll make an assumption that he probably, I don't know, he's probably done something different. But back in 2009, every single day he would wake up and he would read the book of James. Every single day. Not very long. And then he would take one of the principles in the book of James and he would put it into practice in his life. So I encourage you, I'm going to be doing this challenge for the next seven days. And if anyone would like to take this challenge with me, just in the morning, maybe it means waking up 10 minutes early, let's read the book of James together. Obviously, it'll be individually. But I just encourage you to, let's take a challenge of a week. We'll read through the book of James and find one principle and each day take that one principle and put it into our lives. So for the next two weeks, as I mentioned, we are going to be looking at unlikely heroes. These are men and women who may or may not fit our definition of like what we would expect it means to be heroic. It's true. We have a lot of preconceived ideas about the concept of being a hero. There are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a hero. And today we're really going to be talking about what I'm terming spiritual heroism. The idea of not being a hero for myself, but being a hero for God and what that really looks like. And so, you know, as a child, my favorite superhero, because when we think of heroes, as you can see, my favorite superhero was Spider-Man. I loved Spider-Man. Really, really big fan of Spider-Man. I want to briefly talk to you for about 30 seconds, and, and I previously had kind of set a timer when I did this, so we'll, we'll see if I can hold it to 30 seconds of excitement about Spider-Man. Here's why Spider-Man is awesome. First of all, Spider-Man was kind of a dorky, nerdy guy who wasn't really that cool, and he never really became that cool. He always had to deal with his human issues. He was just a guy kind of struggling through life. Yes, he had superpowers, but he wasn't like invincible. He had these webs that came out of his arms. That was like his superpower. He didn't have invincibility. He didn't have something that made it so he didn't have to deal with his problems. He had a little bit of superhero strength, maybe, depending on the, on the version. But really, he was just a guy that had this ability to climb around and do all this stuff. Now, the reason this resonated with a young David is because I didn't necessarily feel like the coolest person. A lot of us probably maybe feel that we not necessarily can relate to Superman, this alien from planet Krypton who literally, he was so powerful, they had to invent this like magical green um, kryptonite in order to, for him to have a weakness. I could never really relate with that. Batman... Batman was like a rich billionaire. I also can't really relate to that. I, I wish I could. Like, believe me, like, that'd be awesome, right? We're sitting there thinking, be like, I'd love to relate to Bruce Wayne. That'd be phenomenal. But Spider-Man, and see, I went over 30 seconds already. I, I apologize. But Spider-Man, I could always relate to because Spider-Man always had these crises of like, oh, can I use my powers? How should I use them? What does it mean to use my powers? Good. Now, Let's be honest, we live in a culture that's not just like Teenage David who loves Spider-Man. We live in a culture that is pretty into heroes, especially superheroes. And in fact, if we're really being honest, we're probably obsessed with superheroes. Now, before you even ask, no, I'm not going to spoil Avengers Endgame. 
I know that we're probably worried about that. You're probably thinking, oh no, it came out on Thursday slash Friday. I'm really concerned because I haven't seen it yet. In fact, I'm planning on going this afternoon or whenever. And I'm really worried that superhero sermon, that that's going to deal with, no, it will not. Relax. Don't worry. Fear not. I know that that would be a big deal. We're not going to do that. But that movie, I, I will, here's, I haven't seen it, so I'm not really spoiling it. That movie does involve some way Spider-Man, so there's our tie-in. But other than that, we're not going to spoil it at all. But if we're being totally honest, whether Spider-Man is or is not in Endgame doesn't really matter, because to me, there's always just going to be one Spider-Man, and that is the Spider-Man played by Tobey Maguire in the early 2000s. I see some nodding of the heads. I appreciate that. I see you. I appreciate that in the back. There is always going to be one version of Spider-Man because, remember how I talked about, I loved this nerdy guy. He had a lot of human flaws. Well, there's this great moment in, um, in Spider-Man, I believe it's from 2002, where he's kind of starting to have this ability to like beat people up. And so his Uncle Ben, which is the greatest character probably of all time. I love this quote. He says, you know, maybe you have the ability to, to beat people up, but that doesn't mean you should. Maybe you have the ability to do this, but that's power. With great power comes great responsibility. And I love this line. And we're going to use, obviously we're going to use scripture as a lens for our message, but we're also going to use this idea of Uncle Ben Parker, with great power comes great responsibility, as kind of the lens of what we're talking about today. This quote has been something that's been really profound and helpful for me in my life. I've really thought, you know, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, gets a lot into this where he talks about Christian liberty. We won't necessarily go into that, but if you think about this, this is something that really, really resonates with Scripture. And today we're not going to be talking about Spider-Man. Our unlikely hero, I'd love to talk about Spider-Man, but that wouldn't be a sermon. That'd be like a, maybe a TED Talk, right? So that, that wouldn't be what we're going to do. Rather, we're going, to be, we're going to be looking at James, the brother of Jesus, and see what we can learn from his experiences and teachings. James is not a hero for the wrong reasons. Rather, he's a hero of the faith, and his teachings can be really incredibly helpful. Remember, we talked about at the beginning that challenge, and I, I encourage you, uh, let's take that challenge of this week of reading the book of James each morning. But he's a hero of the faith for all the right reasons, and his ideas can be incredibly powerful and helpful when applied to our lives. As we're talking about an unlikely hero, we're not talking exactly about a superhero, but it's important to know that any good superhero narrative, it's got a lot of things that matters. You've got to have good villains, right? No one, likes a, no one likes a hero without good villains. So we love Batman because of the villains. We love Spider-Man because of all the villains. We're not going to get into that today, but we, what we are going to talk about is the origin story. That is something that's really important. How did the hero become the way they became? And so you really just can't have a hero without a good origin story. So let's begin by talking about the origin of James the Just. And, you know, there's no photographs of James from way back then because they didn't exist. But this is a famous picture of him. So there's a famous picture of James. And we're going to talk about his origin story for just a moment. So James grew up as the younger brother of Jesus. Yes, like Jesus, Jesus, like the Son of God, like fully God, fully man, that Jesus, right? So he literally grew up as the younger brother to God, okay? So he went through, he went through life having a brother who literally did not mess up. 
Now, now we sit and think, like we sit and probably feel like we're around people and we're judged like as someone, like we, we look at ourselves and we're like, wow, everyone around me is perfect. Well, they're not, right? Everyone around you at work, they all make mistakes too. They all sin. Everyone in your family, we all, we all are going through life together. We make mistakes. We sin. Growing up with Jesus, the guy didn't, make, the guy didn't sin. Like, he was perfect. So imagine kind of James's reality with this and how frustrating it is when everyone was going through all the different growing up things and there's Jesus just being perfect again and mom and dad are like, oh, come on, James, can't you be more like Jesus? And James is like, no, I, I literally can't. Sorry. I, I would like to be. But then Jesus began his ministry. And James couldn't get over the fact that even though, yeah, he couldn't be like Jesus because Jesus just didn't sin, but Jesus still went through all of, all of the, the different things like hormones, all these different things. We even learn um, in the Bible where it talks about a 12-year-old Jesus um, going to the temple, kind of running off from the parents, and he's like, well, of course I'm here, guys. Like, obviously I'm with my father's house. But when Jesus begins his ministry... James has a really hard time accepting this. James and the other brothers. There, there, scripture confirms this. Mark um, chapter 3 talks about how the brothers think that Jesus is out of his mind. John, um, John chapter 7 says, for even his own brothers didn't believe him. So James, the same unbelieving brother, couldn't deny who Jesus was and still is. Remember last week, Pastor Stan talked about the uh, the past perfect tense. So after the resurrection, Jesus was and still is the Son of God. And James couldn't deny this. He wasn't there at the crucifixion. If you think back to the crucifixion, Jesus is there, his mother is there, some other women are there, and also um, the disciple John is there. And there's a whole thing where Jesus says, you know, John, take uh, my mom as your mom, etc. And they kind of do that thing. James isn't there, so he's not there. Yet we do find out in Acts 1 that it talks about by the time everybody is there for Pentecost, the first um, Pentecostals, James is one of them. So we do happen to kind of come full circle, and he becomes there in Acts 1. And then James wrote an epistle, which is excellent. We talked about that. Um, and we're going to look at some excerpts of it. Again, I encourage you to read it and maybe... Maybe not this week, but I encourage you to take that challenge. Let's take this challenge of reading it together and really just considering how it applies to our lives. So this James is our likely hero. He's a man who overcame being just the brother basically to a celebrity and is now known as James the Just. Now, why is he just? That's his nickname that the early church gave him, James the Just. Why is he just? There are many reasons. Among them, James is a guy who very much understood the notion that the great liberty granted to us by Christ comes with great responsibility. The free will given to us by God, it too comes with a great responsibility. And the power of the Holy Spirit living in each of us, and we gloss that over, right? We talk about that. We say like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit lives inside me. Okay, stop for a moment. So literally, and, and we, we, always, we never really pay attention to this, God is living inside each of us. The power of the Holy Spirit. We have that power available to us. We just, we gloss over that. We, we don't think about it. We sit and we, we panic, right? 
We do this. I've used this illustration before where I, when I panic, I just start throwing my arms in the air. But we can be like, we can slow down and we can pray and we can say, you know, God, just really help me have some peace. Help me just calmly get through the situation. Really let your Holy Spirit work through me. Give me wisdom. And we'll get it. We forget that. But that comes with great responsibility. James's epistle, a letter, is especially notable for acknowledging how we can all be heroes for God, this idea of spiritual heroism. So we're going to talk about three great powers, and we're going to look at them. So there's the great power of works. And you notice we're going to be talking about Abraham for a moment. This is our, this is our little bridge back to, because we're going to be, after um, these next two weeks, we're going to be going back into our foundation sermon series talking about Abraham. But we're going to look in James 2 right now, and we're going to see a little bit about Abraham right now from Genesis. This is uh, chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. You see that faith was active along with Abraham's works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. James makes it clear that we're saved through faith alone, but our works demonstrate our faith. So it's not that I can do a bunch of good stuff and then I get to heaven. It's very clear, doctrinally, that I'm saved through my faith in Christ, period. But I show my faith in Christ by helping others, by living out my faith in my life. And so I think of one of, one of the spiritual heroes in my family is my grandfather, Pastor Sands. Father. He was a Methodist pastor in the, and Laura and I were talking, we were trying to figure out, so would we call the 1960s and 70s the mid-20th century or the late? Can, can we get a show of hands? Is it, is it mid or is it late? Okay, so there's no clear consensus, so I'm still confused, but that's fine. So sometime in the not early 20th century, my grandfather was a pastor in the prairie. And being a pastor in the prairie in this time that we're confused what time it is, it's mid or late, doesn't really matter. But during this time period, a lot of America was kind of shifting. A lot of churches that had really been really massive churches in the prairie, for various reasons or another, had kind of, they're not anymore. And so there was a church that had a membership of 12 that my grandfather was appointed to along with a couple other churches. And one day, his district superintendent called him up on the phone. This is the days of, like, the old, uh, like, the, the windy cords. So, literally called him up, maybe talked to a, a, what kind of phone? A rotary phone? I don't know, before my time. Again, we don't, it's, it's either <laughs> mid, or, mid or late 20th century. But regardless, so he calls him up, and he's like, Reverend Cushing. Um, oh, this is a little aside. So, we always make a joke in my family. My grandfather is Reverend Cushing. My, my dad is Pastor Stan, and I'm just David. That's just what it is. So, he said, Reverend Cushing, um, so, you know, there's, there's a membership of 12. We could probably just close that church. And so, my grandfather looked at it and said, you know, but there are 12 people who are faithfully coming, and they're very much, it, it's, it's through no fault of their own that their church has declined. It's literally out in the middle of the prairie. It's like, 40 miles away from anything. It's not like their fault. That it's just, it is what it is. And he said, you know what? No, I have been appointed to serve here. And even if there's two people in attendance, we're going to have a church service. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. So therefore, we're just going to do it. And that mentality, and not going too much into it, that mentality has really helped our family 
to the point where I'm a special ed teacher, and there I, I teach in a smaller classroom. I sometimes teach two students. In fact, one year, I had a class that had one student the entire year. I still prepared lessons. I didn't just mail it in because there wasn't a huge class, because there's that idea of we can show our faith by our works. We can just continue to be faithful. I'm really, and this is something I heard recently that I like, giftedness is really awesome. We've all met that person who's like really charismatic, right? Who's a great, amazing speaker. Or that person who's like an amazing musician. Or that person who fill in the blank. They're an amazing athlete, whatever. And so we can, I've seen people come into the church and do really amazing things for a really short amount of time. But the thing that as I get older, and I'm having a crisis about turning 30 this year. I, I am, ask my wife. But as I get older, and you might be like, you're not old, you're 29, whatever, okay. But as I get older, I'm really impressed by not the giftedness and, and the people who are just really gifted and it's great, but then we don't see them. I'm really impressed by the people who just are faithful and committed and come and just keep showing up and they keep showing up and they keep showing up. That idea of, we, we make a joke sometimes about really committed people are kind of like cockroaches, in a good way, in a good way, that a nuclear fallout could happen and they're still there, right? That's the idea with, with the, the only animal that, that survives um, the nuclear explosion is the cockroach, in a very good way. So I, I know you're probably like, wow, he just like totally dissed me. I promise you I didn't. I, used, I was last week in Market Basket and a, a, student, a former student of mine asked me, are you still there? And I said, oh yeah, I'm like a cockroach. I, I'm there through even a nuclear emergency. So I'm not dissing you, I promise. But I'm really impressed by that. That is the great power of works. So I ask you to think, what are the opportunities in our lives where we simply just have a chance to do the right thing consistently? Not one time, but consistently, in a good way, being like the cockroach. How do we rise to meet those challenges? Do we see them as the spiritual opportunities and the holy moments that they are? Do we see that works are the way to live out our faith? So if our great power is the great power of works, our great responsibility is seeing the importance of living out our faith. Let's look at the next one. And this is one that gets us all into trouble, but so we should definitely talk about it. The great power of works. Let's look, of words, I'm sorry. Let's look in James chapter 3. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, I was, I was sitting and trying to think, has every single animal been tamed? Then I remembered that during this time, like, there were literally people who rode elephants into war. So at least in the context of this, yes, every animal has been tamed. And I really, this makes me think of the dandelion, right? So we hold the dandelion. It's all ready to go. I, I was going to bring one in, but then I thought the trustees would be super sad if I did this. Because literally my point is, if you blow it and it goes everywhere, like even if I did that, we could have all then paused and like tried to pick up the different pieces of it. We still probably would have missed a few. That's the power of our words. Once they're out, they're out. That is the lesson of the dandelion. We cannot take our words back. We may be lulled into thinking that our words are harmless and that we just need to get things off our chest, right? This is one of the big things. Oh, I said that just because I needed someone to know. I just needed to get it off my chest. 
Well, Scripture teaches us that there's great power and even danger of our words. Great power and great responsibility. I think of John Wesley, the, the founder of Methodism, and he has 22 questions. I promise we're not going to go through 22 questions right now. But um, his, when, when he was setting up um, classes where he had class meetings where different people would get together, kind of our faith group now, this idea of a small group ministry, he'd have people look at these 22 questions. Many of them have to do with our words. If you have one of the handouts, you'll see there's four of them on there. And these are things really to consider. Am I honest in all my acts and words, or do I exaggerate? And that's something that I will tell you I'm very guilty of. Exaggeration, I have had to really work on not exaggerating. Let's just keep things as they are. So maybe we struggle with this too. Do I confidentially pass on to another what was told me in confidence? There's a, there's a great power, great responsibility. If I'm given information, do I keep it to myself, or am I just like, oh, Guess what, Charlie? You'll never believe what Azekai told me yesterday. I just went, but anyhow, <laughs> if you were all wondering. When did I last speak to someone else about my faith? Okay, so we talked about great power, great responsibility. Not only can there be the negative side, I can share my faith through my words. Yes, like the dandelion, if I say the negative things, it goes everywhere. If I start to just say, not in an obnoxious way, but just in a very invitational, calm, humble kind of way, hey, I've, I've got a great church. Um, I'd really love uh, you, to, you to check it out. Maybe I say that. You probably don't walk into Market Basket and be like, hey, come to my church. But maybe we just, in our conversations, we are a little more intentional about being a bringer, about being someone who is willing to say, you know what? I've got a great church. I love my church family. There's a hurting world. People need Jesus. People need connection. Would you like to come to church with me? Probably don't word it like that. You can contextualize it yourself. But regardless, that's one of the opportunities we have. Do I grumble or complain constantly? I like that one too. Our great responsibility is seeing that our words matter. And let's look at one more great power. This is the great power of impartiality. And this is a, this is, maybe we'll find this is a big word that needs to be explained. Let's just define impartiality like this. Not playing favorites, right? So it's important to see that everybody matters. Let's look in James briefly. This is chapter 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you, Sit here in a good place. While well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And this is a really helpful one for us to think about. Because in James's day, the big thing everyone thought about was wealth. That was the big dividing line. And, and that definitely plays a role in 2019. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's lots of other ones, too. That can definitely be something that we can be like, you know, if I can just kind of rub elbows with the right people, maybe my life will be better. But there's a lot of things that can lead us to being impartial. I'm going to list a few. There's a little um, slot on your handout. Maybe you want to list other ones. That's totally great. Here's my list. Status, coolness, wealth, popularity, 
influence on social media, number of likes or followers on social media, uh, business ventures, etc. right? You can think of different things. There are lots of different things that lead us to being, impartial, to being partial, but there really is a great power here, and there's a great responsibility. You know, I think of a time in my life where I felt really kind of overlooked. I felt like that in James talks about there's the preferred people who are like, oh, sit in this favored place, and then there's the other people who are like, stand over there or sit at my feet. There was a time when I really felt by the church, and I don't mean this church because I lived in Ohio, um, I really felt as, and my life had not tons of direction at that point. I wasn't a super nice person. Um, but I wanted to be involved in the church. Um, I definitely had some, some work I had to do. I still, still do. But there was this guy, Simon, who just said, you know what? I'd like to be your friend. And that was a game changer to me. Now, Simon also happened to be a pastor, and this eventually led to other things. But this guy, Simon, just being willing to say, you know what? I want to be your friend. Let's get to know each other. Uh, let's go get a Reuben at this Irish place, and let's talk. And we did. And the next week, he was like, let's get frozen. This is a thing, by the way. Let's get frozen custard. Um, he loved frozen custard. It was, it's, it's an Ohio thing, I guess, uh, because when I was out there with Laura, like a week ago, they were like, let's go get frozen custard. So regardless, he was like, let's go get frozen custard together. So we did. And then I got involved in his church. I, I was able to have an opportunity to eventually do some leadership stuff. But that's not what matters. In a time where I felt like I just needed someone to notice me, somebody just turned to me and said, hey, I'd like to be your friend. That was a huge game changer for me. Recently, so I actually found out this past fall, and you may have, you may have seen that I put this was like six months ago, that I put things on social media about this and talked to people about it. So he actually, um, in his early 40s, passed away unexpectedly in the fall. Um, and I'd really kind of forgotten Simon. Simon was a really influential figure in my life, and I'd really kind of forgotten him. Um, didn't have any sort of falling out. We just, the years had kind of drifted us apart. I was out here, he was out there. And so I really thought, you know, what is the one lesson I can remember from Simon? And so I really rededicated myself to this idea of saying, hey, I care about you, I just want to be your friend. And so, and this is not self-promotion of David, I just want to use this in, as, as an example, and simply because I think that we can all then use this as an opportunity to say, okay, if, if that's a strategy, maybe I can contextualize and do this. So you may notice that um, I'm silly, and I like to do secret handshakes with people. This is a thing. Let me tell you where this came out of. Um, there, was a, there was a kid in our church who a little while ago, like last summer, started doing a secret handshake with me over the summer. And then I kind of forgot about it. Then when I was thinking kind of of Simon and of this idea of, hey, I want to be your friend. Hey, I care. Hey, you matter. I was thinking, you know, like, I'm often doing, and I had to really evaluate what I was doing. And I was like, I'm often doing things where I'm just trying to, like, invest in people. And that's great. But sometimes I'm doing, and the church can do this, sometimes I may be doing a little too much for the church to get something out of it. And maybe I just need to be more a little bit attentional of just caring about people and wanting to just do things so that they know they're special and they matter, but it's not, there's not some sort of reward or anything out of it. So I started doing secret handshakes with people. You may have seen, I, I did the Macarena earlier. And this really, this really comes out of an idea of 
people and especially children in our church. It can be children in our community, in our church, in our families, wherever. We want to know that we matter. We're sitting there and we're feeling like David at the age of 19, just wanting a friend. And these little things we can do, maybe it's a, a silly little inside joke you come up with. Maybe it's some sort of a Monday ritual you come up with your son. Who knows what it is? But there are ways that we can show that everybody matters. This is what I ask you to think about this week. What can we do to show people that they matter, that all of them matter? It doesn't matter if they have a lot of followers on Facebook or, or Instagram or if, if they've got a lot of money. Those things don't matter. People just matter. Our great responsibility is seeing that everyone matters. You know, James is an unlikely hero who teaches us what it means to be both a disciple of Jesus and also a child of God. But being a spiritual hero is not glamorous. It's not like one of these things where if, if, you're, if you're working on this idea of spiritual heroism, and we're going to talk about this next week with Naomi too. Um, the title of that message is going to be Naomi, Her Cup Runneth Over. It's going to correlate with our women's conference as well, which we're really excited about. But spiritual heroism is not about being cool. Again, I, I was hesitant to use the secret handshake example because I don't want you to think that I'm glorifying myself. I'm trying to give that as an example. I don't do that to be cool. I do that because I want kids to just feel like they're noticed. Because if I'm having an important conversation, I remember being a little kid and, and looking up and seeing adults having important conversations. And if that happens and the adult pauses and says just for a second, does a little secret handshake, acknowledges the kid for a second, then goes back, that can be a hugely powerful moment. And we can all do things like this. This is what it means to be a spiritual hero. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with being awesome. It just means really guarding our words, seeing the great power of our works, our words, and this idea of seeing that everyone matters, impartiality. Because I will tell you, God has called each of us to live according to his righteousness, not according to our humanness. So let's pray together. You know, Father God, we, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for all the good things you're doing in our lives. We thank you for, for just your work on the cross and for everything that you've just made available in our lives. We thank you for this fact that you can just really allow us this opportunity to be aware of the, the power of our works, the power of our faith, the power of our words, and the power of just really noticing and, and being aware and impartial to all those around us. So I ask that together as we just close out our service, that you just really give us this intentionality and this awareness that we could be not people who are heroic for ourselves, but really just focus on you and your truth. In your son's name we pray. Amen. this time at Faith Community Church. We take a moment just to reflect upon the words that have been poured into us. To take the opportunity to allow the Christ within to speak to our souls. Just take a moment to pause, to breathe, Close your eyes if you feel moved to do so. For in each of us, 
there is work to be done. In each of us, a balance of our humanness to Christ's righteousness. And so at this time, as we give pause and reflection to his words, to his message, we open up the altar to each and every one of us. For Christ reminds us all the time to come to him, to bring him our sorrows and our burdens, and to lay them before him at the foot of his cross. So now you have that moment. There is a relationship that is weighing heavily, a situation, a season that you are traveling along. Then Christ welcomes you to come and to lay it at the cross. There is power and prayer. It has moved mountains. So as we call those to come forward, we welcome you to come and to bring it to him so that we can pray with you, pray over you. And today in this service, if you heard Christ just knocking a little louder and as you stand there and say, Jesus, I need to receive you fully within my soul and heart, and this is your time too to come. You're welcome here.